Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. Hi everyone, Tamal here. We had a few technical issues uh, in the first half of this week's podcast, so my audio quality will be kind of rubbish. I've tried to go over the bits that were particularly bad and kind of uh, voice over them, so you'll uh, you'll notice that, that those will be added in in the first half. Uh, but from about 24 minutes in, uh, the quality should be uh, back to a reasonable level. So please uh, be patient and get through it. And sorry, uh, sorry about the difficulties. Thanks. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing all right, mate. Uh, this bit, the week's gone by so quickly, man. It feels like literally yesterday that we were chatting on last week's episode of the podcast. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird how fast time is going now. Although in fairness, that was only six days ago, whereas normally we leave it to like 10 p.m. on the Sunday before we record. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's weird because everyone seems to have had the same experience that March went by really slowly and April just kind of disappeared in a flash. And it's like, it seems it's insane how how aligned everyone is on that, at least on Twitter. Oh, right. Well, <laughs> I was going to say it's the first time I'm hearing of it, but I guess <laughs> not following the right people on Twitter, clearly. Uh, but no, it's been a good week. We had a we had a, a big week this uh, this week for causal. We uh, we made an offer to our, our first employee, uh, and uh, hopefully he'll accept. Uh, he he is verbally accepted, but okay. he does have a, a, cu- a couple of competing offers. So uh, we'll see what his final decision is. Um, what's, but, who's, yeah, be... who's your first em- who's your first employee? Like, what's his his vibe? Uh, he's a he's a he's a cool <clears throat> dude. Uh, he lives in Italy. He is uh he he's actually. He actually started off doing like finance stuff. So he started off as like an Excel guy doing like Excel. And then he slowly started to do a bit of like, you know, coding inside Excel using like VBA or whatever to automate some of his Excel work. And then kind of realized that, whoa, this coding stuff is pretty neat. And then taught himself how to program. And he's been yeah, working as a software engineer for the past few years. And, wait, wait, uh, wait he, he learned to code? <laughs> I know. I know. I was really reluctant. <laughs> How can you hire someone who's learned to code? I mean, <laughs> everyone knows it's unfashionable to learn to code these days. Yeah, kids as you preach to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the note of learning to code. That is that's usually my sponsorship segue into brilliant in my in my in my YouTube videos. So every time <laughs> brilliant was like a maths maths quite thing. It's ma- math science and computer science. Um, oh, okay. and so they've got like an introduction to computer science. They've got a nice Python course. They've got an advanced Python course. So that's usually my in. Anytime I'm doing a video talking about money, I'd be like, if you want to make money, kids, learn to code by going to brilliant. <laughs> and it's nice. a seamless segue. Anyway, sorry, you were talking about about your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we we've uh, made him the offer. Hopefully, he'll accept. Um, yeah, it'll be happy days. He seems like a great guy. Are you allowed to say how much you've offered him? Uh, I'm sure I'm allowed. I just don't really see the point. Okay, fair enough. Uh, how about you? How's your week? Um, I really can't remember. I feel like it's gone by in a flash. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, work was annoyingly busy. Like it was super chill for the first few weeks of quarantine when no one was coming into hospital. But now people are starting to come into hospital, and so the workload is similar to what it was before. And usually, kind of in the early days of quarantine, I could get a couple of hours on my iPad at least, but I haven't been able to do that these last few days, which is, is kind of nice in a way because it means the time just absolutely flies when I'm at work. What do you mean so, get in a couple of hours on my iPad? What the hell does as that in, mean? As in there's enough free time at work to, you know, clock in a few hours on the iPad, on <laughs> iPad screen time, either kind of making notes or reading stuff oh. or, or whatever. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. Basically kind of productive procrastination on the iPad. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, I've had to actually do some work these last this last week, so I haven't been able to do that to the extent that I normally uh, would Mate, like to. That sucks. I'm on the stage. I know. <laughs> God, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's my life. Uh, what are we talking about this week? I'm I'm quite excited by this week's topic. Yeah. So this week we are finally talking about uh, a a theory slash framework called transactional analysis. Um, and this is kind of uh, th- this is one of the ideas that I've come across in the past few years. Yeah. Th- this is one of the very few ideas that I've come across in the past few years. Uh, that, is, that has been kind of like mind blowing. Like it seems like a genuinely sort of novel and useful model for things like social interaction. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the whole, this is a framework. It, it was uh, basically 
produced by a guy called uh, Dr. Byrne, something Byrne back in like the, I don't know, 50s or something, 1950s. Um, and I guess it, it, you can probably class it as like psychotherapy or like psychiatry or something. So like, yeah, this like guy himself, yeah, this guy was a psychiatrist and it's like the, the, the framework is used as like a, as a tool in psychiatry slash psychotherapy. I think it was more, it was more popular as a psychiatric tool uh probably in like uh you know the 60s 70s something like that now i don't know how popular it is um but i think i think it it has uh, a lot of potential to just be kind of applied outside the realm of like professional psychiatry or psychotherapy okay and just being applied in our day-to-day lives could it potentially be turned into a skillshare class i'm sure it could Okay, awesome. I am actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all I'm ears. Sure <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Good thing we're recording wow. this interview then. Right. Ali just got off of his phone. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, lads. Here we go. All okay. right. Hit me. What is transactional analysis? Okay. Yeah. So, so the, yeah, this, this is my take on transactional analysis. Essentially, the, the original guy who came up with it, he, you know, he, he kind of formulated this whole thing. He had lots of, you know, various theories about this. Some of them quite extreme. Um, this is my take on it. And my take on it is that it's a useful framework to be able to make sense of social interaction and also be able to make sense of why we feel and think the things that we feel and think. Okay. Um, okay. So we're not going to get angry emails from people saying that actually this doesn't apply in all these different extreme circumstances and that we're no, no, so, social yeah, yeah, uh, well, we, we may, we may still get them, but I, I just like, yeah, I'm going to say up front, we're not making any truth claims here. We're not trying to say that this is this is scientific or science you know so, some of the parts of the framework are you know there, there there has been some scientific research that kind of suggests that it's not a million miles off but i'm not approaching this from a like this is how the brain works this is how psychology works i'm approaching this from this is a useful but probably wrong model that helps us kind of learn a bit more about ourselves um and and sort of think about how we interact with people fantastic um, okay i'm i'm now. excited raring to go what I say here is basically that uh, I've tried reading a bunch of different books about transaction analysis, but I actually found a lot of them really hard to get into, uh, especially the ones written by uh, Dr. Byrne himself. Uh, have a f- I found one good book uh, by a chap called uh, Anthony Thomas Anthony Harris, uh, which is called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And I found that to be a much more accessible kind of intro into all the various concepts. And he actually wrote it uh, as a, uh, a more of a layperson's guide to the field. Um and it's kind of a, a, a version of things that you can almost use for, for self-help. Yeah, dare I say. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm off the iPad now as well. <laughs> okay, so uh, in this book, uh, Harris starts off with a really good story. I think like sets the scene really quite nicely. Um, and uh, the story is this. So once an old farmer tinkering with a rusty harrow on a country road was approached by an earnest young man from the university extension service who was making farm-to-farm calls for the purpose of selling a new manual on soil conservation and new farming technique. Basically, you know, big wig from the business school was coming to the farms and saying, hey, guys, let me tell you how to make a farm more efficient. Um, and so the story goes, after a polite and polished speech, the young man asked the farmer if he would like to buy this new book, to which the old man replied, son, I don't farm half as good as I know how already. Uh, and I think this is one of my favorite stories because it's like, you know, basically, the farmer is saying, "Look, man, I know I know what I need to do to like <laughs> improve my farm. I'm just not doing it right now." Okay, <laughs> you know, I know farm half as good as I already know how to do. Um, and uh, and yeah, Harry, Harry says, "Look, the purpose of this book is not only the presentation of new data, as in new ideas, new information, but also as an answer to the question of why people do not live as good as they know how already." So, oh, you know, okay, that's interesting. Wait, so like, this, this almost sounds like the whole productivity stuff. I thought this was like a book about social interaction. Uh, it's it's a it's a framework for like thinking about your thoughts and feelings and stuff, and I oh, think it has useful applications in social interaction. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is definitely about social interaction. Uh, okay, so so here's why it's about social interaction. So essentially, so, for a long time, psychotherapy was uh, was quite often criticised as almost like a, an unscientific field, and the reason for this, uh, I thought this pretty, this pretty interesting. The reason was because there hasn't historically been a a basic unit of observation in the field. Okay, so for example, in uh, you know, in physics, the basic unit of observation might be the atom or the molecule or something like that. You know, chemistry maybe it's the molecule. Um, 
what I'm essentially saying here is that the, the field of psychotherapy historically didn't really have much standardized language that uh, that could kind of keep everyone on the same page. Uh, there was a clinical psychologist at Harvard, Dr. Timothy Leary, who said that one of his greatest frustrations with the field uh, was actually that no one had yet come up with a way to standardize the language and the observations that people made about human behavior. And so you can kind of think of transaction analysis uh, as an attempt at standardizing human behavior into lots of different categories so that we can actually talk about it and reason about it uh, while we're all on the same page. You know, okay. and and, uh, and Timothy Leary says that, you know, even even used car salesmen have their little blue books. Even in baseball, players' behavior is recorded by various indices, you know, runs batted in, earned run average. Like they're all tracking lots of things and communicating on the basis of standard language. Um, you know, they don't use poetic language like he runs after a fly ball like a deer or he's an obsessive fielder. They use actual behaviors and actual kind of, you know, con- concepts that everyone's on the same page on. Uh, and transaction analysis is, is an attempt to answer this. So what, what the particle is to physics and what the run is to baseball, uh, the, the key unit of observation, transaction analysis, is the transaction. <laughs> That's what you're analyzing. <laughs> oh, fine, fine. <laughs> okay, so, so, okay, this is our first bit of terminology. Uh, look, this, uh, the, there's going to be, like, some terminology and things. I've, tr- I've tried to, like, pepper this with good stories and, like, anecdotes and things that you can kind of apply to your own lives. But uh, this, I, you know, this episode will take some active listening so please listen actively okay <laughs> so we don't want to get emails or rather tame doesn't want to get emails being like oh your podcast is such easy listening yeah <laughs> <laughs> those emails really grind his gears <laughs> okay cool so i just said uh, the transaction is kind of the uh, the basic unit of observation we have about kind of social behavior uh, I've, I've called it like the unit of social intercourse and a transaction is basically when I do something to you and you do something back. That's what a transaction is. That might be like talking. It might be, you know, nonverbal acknowledgement or whatever. It's basically when I do something to you and you do something back. And um, this is part, you'll see later on as I explain more of the concepts. But this is one of the things I really like about this framework, which is that it's very like, it's very like plain English. What I'm trying to get at here is basically that the uh, the language of transaction analysis is extremely simple. Uh, the title of uh, this particular book is called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Uh, you know, plain English stuff. Uh, another good book about uh, transaction analysis is called What Do You Say After You Say Hello? So it's not it's not technical. It's not complicated. It's uh, it's very fundamental stuff, right? Uh, and so I go on to say that one of the key concepts uh, of, uh, of transaction analysis is that inside each of us, uh, we will have multiple different natures, okay, uh, different sort of identities, and and this is not a new idea. Lots of thinkers over time have arrived at this same insight uh, that we each have multiple identities, multiple natures. You know, there there are multiple somethings inside each of us. Uh, so the question is, what is a useful way to break down our multiple natures? So you know, you might view uh, y- your identity as like a battle between your higher nature and your lower nature, or maybe like a fight between good and evil inside of you Uh, and lots of people have attempted to come up with uh good frameworks for how to break down our personalities or our identities uh sigmund freud uh you know he came up with the id the ego and the superego uh which is you know quite a technical thing mainly aimed at uh sort of psychiatrists and psychotherapists and and this is the main problem with a lot of the possible breakdowns they're kind of technical and complicated so they they've largely remained within the realm of professionals and experts in various fields uh rather than the common man uh, and so the transactional analysis answer to what are the different people inside of us is that there are three people inside of us. Uh, there's the parent, the adult, and the child. Okay, so if oh, of us, nice. we have three people, all right? We have the parent, we have the adult, and we have the child. And again, I love it. It's like, it's so simple. Like, there's no technical terms. This is like plain English. It's, it's not like ego, ego BS. Yeah, like, what the hell does that mean? I, I think for last lemme. Uh, okay, cool. So we have three different... Uh, uh, inside. Okay. Uh, now the brains. Uh, essentially, within the framework, you should think about your brain uh, almost like a tape recorder. You know, from the moment you're born, your brain is kind of recording all sorts of stuff. It's like continuously recording events, and crucially, it's also recording the feelings that you have associated with an event. And you can't really separate the two. And like anecdotally, intuitively, I buy this completely. Like it's it's kind of how when. Uh, you know, even if you can't consciously recall a memory or something, you might hear a song that just kind of immediately takes you back into a particular moment that you wouldn't consciously know about, right? And and like all the feelings associated with that come up as well. Um, and so you should think of your brain as like this tape recorder that's recording experiences and feelings. And e- even if you can't, even if consciously you don't know it's there, there's a, there's an awful lot of stuff in there um, 
that, that your brain has taken in. Okay. Uh, and so the, the parent person inside of you, uh, is essentially a collection of recordings, uh, that we experience in our early years. So mostly before the age of five. Uh, and most, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid, most of your experience of the outside world comes through, uh, your, your actual parents. Um, so these, uh, these recordings in, in your parents. So you capital P parent refers to the parents identity inside you. You know, norm, normal parent refers to your mom or dad. Okay. So, Fine. so the recordings in your capital P parents are, are mostly, uh, you know, d- data from your actual parents and other authority figures that you were exposed to while, while you were growing up. So for, uh, and, and crucially, like the data in, in, in your capital P parents, uh, is completely unedited. Like when you're a child, you don't have, uh, you know, you're not, you're not advanced enough to be able to edit things or correct things or explain things. So, so for example, if you're three years old and you see your parents fighting about something, all you record is like the terror of what's going on. You don't record the context of the fights. Like, oh, you know, my dad had a hard week at work or, you know, my mom was stressed and, you know, they actually love each other very much. But like, you know, you record like the sheer terror of watching your parents fight. Eh? Got it? Okay. Cool. Uh, and so the, the parents, uh, in your, in your parents, you, you basically have lots of recordings, uh, of all the kind of rules and admonitions that you were exposed to as a child. Um, and so this is stuff like nonverbal communication, like the tone of voice, facial expressions, uh, you know, cuddling, uh, all the way up to actual kind of rules and regulations, like your parents saying no to something, your parents saying, don't do that. Um, so inside you, you have like, you know, that there are lots of instances of people saying, you know, don't do that, or this is good, that's bad. And, and, you know, there's instances of them like making a certain like facial expression in response to you doing something. And, and all those recordings are in there. Uh, and so you have feelings associated with lots of things just because of that. Um, and it also includes like random pronouncements, you know, like I'm sure every parent basically has like phrases that they're just really into, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you can't trust men or you can't trust women or you're judged by the company you keep all these kinds of you know, phrases or sayings that, that people might have said to you when you were younger, you, th- that's all data recorded in the parent as well. And it doesn't, okay. it, crucially, it doesn't matter whether, uh, whether those sayings or, you know, whether those phrases or whether those um, kind of interactions were good or bad or actually fit into a reasonable or coherent ethic. Uh, they're just permanently recorded as like feelings and experiences. So, um, you know, even if like you, you you no longer stand by something that your parents kind of hammered into you as a kid, that thing still has some power over you because you know it went straight into your parents, capital P parents, unedited. You, you get what I mean? Okay. So so far we've said that the internal mind is split up into three: the parent, the adult, and the child. Yes. Um, and when you're a child, you're saying that the recordings are put into the parent zone i.e. you kind of take them at face value and they have power over you, over you. You don't really have the capacity to critically assess them. Yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, th- this, is is, that, this is... Easy. Is that why I was, like, I often, like, if if I think back to my kind of childhood and teenage years, I would often use phrases that Mimi would have said quite a lot growing up. Uh, oh, yeah. And it was only, and, and, and it's only now that I look back and, for example, read the emails that me and my friends would send to one another. I, I'd, I'd think, wow, I was really just parroting what Mimi was saying. <laughs> Hell yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's a really good example from the book. So uh, Thomas Harris, who wrote the book, he was talking to one of his patients um, and, uh, and one of his patients said that, you know, her mother always had a rule that you should never put a hat on a table or a coat on the bed. Um, and uh, she always thought this was like a, a bit of a weird rule. Like, why is my mom so strong about putting hats on tables and co- coats on beds? But, but like every time she broke that rule, her mom had like a, a reaction that seemed like, you know, a bit extreme. Um, you know, it seemed like a weird thing, but her mom always reacted strongly to her, like putting the hat on the table, go to bed. Um, and so, you know, to this day, like the, the recording is still there. And, 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 you know, because her mom told her not to do these things, she kind of blindly told her kids not to put hats on tables and coats on beds. Uh, and one day her kids were like, yeah, fine, we'll do it or whatever. But like, why are you so obsessed with the hat and the table and, and, and the coat and the bed? Uh, and eventually the mom and, you know, went back to her mom and said, hey, mom, why, why do we never put hats on tables and coats on the bed? Uh, and, and, and her mom said that when she was little, so when, 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 when the mom's mom was little, some kids in their neighborhood had been infested by some kind of disease and they didn't want the disease to spread or something. So when the neighborhood kids came over, they didn't let them put their hats on the table or their coats on the bed. And so, you know, in, in the context of her mom's mom, this is a reasonable thing. Like you should definitely, you know, it, it, it's a bit like, uh, 
like with, with, with all the coronavirus stuff that's going on, it's like, you know, don't, don't go within six meters of someone, right? <laughs> uh, and like this, this was kind of like a, 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 a recording in the mum's yeah. parents inside her head. Uh, and she didn't really get it, but like it, ha- it had a strong power over her and she kind of like enforced that on her kids as well. Um, and um, yeah, so th- that, that's kind of a similar example to what you mentioned, which is that, uh, you know, when you were younger, you just had like these phrases or these things that our mum used to say. Uh, and you, you just kind of like internalize them or something without like critically assessing them. And you kind of like then feed them back to your friends and, and actually they'd affect the way you live. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this kind of reminds me, there's a, I'm sure you come across it. There's this like famous experiment within psychology where they've done a study on, on monkeys uh, and they get this group of five monkeys and, you know, they had, they have this banana at the top of a ladder. Uh, but any time any of the monkeys go and reach, go and try to get the bananas, the ladder gets electrocuted and all of the monkeys get sprayed with water. And wait, so very I quickly, I was, wait, wait, wait. I don't think I was recording. Okay, you're an idiot then because your audio was also absolutely crap for most of that. Like it was really, really distorting. I had to really struggle to hear what you were saying over Zoom. Oh, shit. Okay, well, I'm recording now. Let's start from the beginning. We haven't gone that, that far in. Bloody hell. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. I thought I'd started recording. Why, do you, why are you not constantly monitoring to make sure the two lights are on? Have you not been burned I by s- this enough times? I swear, that, I swear the two lights were on. Like the, lights, okay. the light is on even if you're not recording. Uh, one light is on when you're not recording. Really? Yeah, the light underneath the one which says that that's the thing that's active. Two lights are on. The, the, the light just above the record button when you're actually recording. Are we about 36 minutes in? We are 24 minutes in, by my reckoning. Okay. Yeah, then I definitely wasn't recording. All right, let's take it from the top. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll like, I, I, I know what I'm, what I'm trying to say, so I'll be quick. <laughs> Look, just chill out, man. It's all good. Okay, no, no, wait. Uh, stop the Zoom recording and see what it sounds like. So the summary of what we said is that I'm going to be telling my kids, kids, when you're recording audio, make sure you see two lights <laughs> present at all times. <laughs> And they're going to tell that to their friend, their kids, and they're going to tell that to their kids until in 200 years' time, people are going to be like, make sure you always see two lights recording. <laughs> oh, that's funny, because we just cut out and Tamor realised that he wasn't recording on his microphone, despite having been burned by this many times before. El Clasico, mate. All right, so we we basically got up to discussing uh, just a quick summary so far. Within each of us, we have uh, three different sort of people. We have uh, the parent, the adult, and the child. We were just talking about the parent uh, and how the the parent inside of us is basically uh, a set of recordings of uh, our experiences as a child, which mostly come from our own parents and other authority figures. Uh, and these uh, experiences have a lot of you know, a lot of re- we have a lot of recordings of people telling us what to do, what not to do, um, and crucially, as a as a young child, we don't have the the thinking ability to edit or analyze or assess the thing the the information that we're being told. We just kind of take it at face value. So your parents might tell you things uh, about what's right and wrong, uh, and regardless of whether those are actually good ways to live, in your opinion, uh, you will still internalize them and you will actually take them in, and they'll form uh, sort of part part of your worldview. Uh, and uh, so, so an, another quick example, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, so there was uh, there's a husband and a wife, okay, uh, and in their in their household they had um, they had all the kind of modern ex- uh, conveniences uh, that you'd expect, you know, washing machine, dishwasher, all this kind of stuff. Um, but there was one weird thing, which was that the the wife didn't want to get a gar- garbage disposal unit. Do you know what a garbage disposal unit is, Ali? No, what is that? Basically, it's not really a thing in the UK, but in the US. Uh, built into your sink is a thing where you can like put all the waste food. So like you don't have to scrape your plate into like the, the bin and then put it in the sink. You just like shove everything into the sink. Uh, there's like a, you know, the, the, the plug hole can take in like waste food and everything like that. Oh, and then you press a button yeah. somewhere and then it like, grrr, yeah, exactly. And then there's like all these horror films, like comedy scenes where people get their hands caught up in it and to get mangled. Yes, precisely. So, uh, you know, the, this, uh, this husband and wife, they had like all the modern stuff. But for some reason, the wife didn't want to get a garbage disposal unit. And, you know, the husband encouraged her to get one. You know, it would, it would make both their lives a lot easier in the kitchen. Uh, and the wife agreed, like, yeah, our lives would probably be easier. But she kept finding excuses for not actually getting around to getting this garbage disposal unit. Um, and eventually, the husband uh, basically caught on to the fact that, that the wife was deliberately not getting one. It wasn't just that it was uh, you know, passing her mind. She was deliberately not getting one. And he insisted that she tell him why. Uh, and after some reflection, the wife recognized that uh, she had like a very particular early impression about garbage. Uh, so the wife actually grew up in the Great Depression in the 1930s in, in America, um, where, you know, 
uh, it was pretty desperate times for almost everyone. Uh, and they actually used to keep the garbage and feed it to the pig, which they had. Uh, and then at Christmas, they would butcher the pig and eat the meat. Uh, and, you know, the, they, they sort of saved the garbage to the extent that they didn't even use soap for washing the dishes. They kind of uh, washed it with water and then gave the dishwasher to the pig to eat as well. So it has some nutrients. Um, and so based on her early childhood experiences, she had this like strongly internalized thing about like, you shouldn't like throw anything away. Like garbage is not to be thrown away. We have to like, you know, make use of every last drop. Uh, and that kind of shaped how she felt about garbage. Uh, and that was why she was so resistant to buying the garbage disposal thing. But like, it wasn't it wasn't immediately obvious to her why that was. It took some like thinking and some sort of confrontation for her to think about like, why am I so against the garbage disposal unit? Uh, and there's, there's a happy ending. She did eventually buy the garbage disposal unit uh, and she was very happy with it afterwards. So, there, so yeah, as a child, she, you know, in, inside her parents, she had these recordings of, you know, her mom and dad saying like, you know, we don't throw garbage away. This is what you do with garbage. We have to save everything. We can't waste anything, all of this kind of stuff. And, th- and then those recordings are kind of playing out when she's an adult without her necessarily consciously being aware of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just like a feeling kind of thing. Uh, okay. So, th- so that, that, I hope that kind of illustrates what I mean by kind of the parent uh, and the recording yeah, and the parent. Cool. cool. Um, so that was the parent. Uh, next, uh, the, the next person inside of us is the adult. Uh, and the adult, uh, is essentially the recordings that, uh, that we accumulate as a result of our own kind of finding things out and our own reasoning about the world ourselves. Um, so the adult is kind of our sort of, our sort of conscious thinking selves. So th- through the adult, we can, uh, essentially tell the difference between life as it was taught or demonstrated to us uh you know to the recordings of the parent uh we can tell the difference between that uh and life as we actually figure out for ourselves um and the adult kind of gathers data from uh both you know it, it gathers data externally so from the world so you know experiences and recordings of, of the world around you uh but it also processes data from uh your other two identities it processes the data from the parent and the child uh and actually a very important function of the adult is to examine the data in the parent and decide whether it's legit uh, and the same goes for the child is to examine the data in the child and decide whether it's still legit um and so a big part of transaction analysis uh is to uh yeah almost the goal of transaction analysis is to emancipate the adult inside all of us to enable each of us to have the freedom of choice and to be able to change at will how we respond to things um and this this often comes down to overriding the data in the uh parent and overriding the data in the child uh and finally okay that brings us on to the child uh where essentially while the parent is kind of uh the recordings of external events that happen to us as a as a child the child's uh, the child inside us sort of stores the internal events, like how how we felt and how we responded uh, when we were really young to all of those sorts of things. Uh, and so when you when you kind of replay recordings in the child, you're actually kind of reliving those experiences and those feelings associated with them. So, for example, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess there's lots of cases where. Um, you know, you might be like a, a fully grown adult and maybe like consciously you think, oh, I don't, I don't really care what my parents think. I don't, I don't need their validation anymore. I'm an adult. And then, you know, your mom or your dad kind of, uh, you know, says something to you. And like, for some reason, like even, even though you think you're kind of above it or whatever, it still has an effect on you because them saying like, no, you shouldn't do this or whatever that replays the recordings inside your child of them saying that when you were a kid and you're actually reliving those experiences. So you don't, you can't really control the fact that it still has like a, it still creates an emotion uh, inside of you. Do, do you get what I mean? Yeah, man, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. I, I, I noticed you. I am fully, I'm fully on board. I, I noticed you tearing up while I was saying that. Do you want to? <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this is like it's as if you're speaking to myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the child, the, the child, the, the capital C child inside of all of us, this sort of stores all of these feelings and uh, and kind of responses that we had as kids to things, uh, and it's also kind of the source of our emotions, creativity, spontaneity, intimacy, all of this kind of emotional uh, side of us that comes from the child side of us okay um uh that seems a bit of a stretch sorry the, the, that final bit yeah i i agree it seems a bit of a stretch. i agree okay. i agree it seems a bit of a stretch but uh, i'm i'm personally okay with it uh, and hopefully that'll, that'll become yeah, clear as, uh, as we go on um so uh and and hopefully i'll be okay with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep um okay so parent adult child these are the three kind of natures the three identities uh inside all of us um and, you know, what's the point of all of this? The point is to help us change, uh, 
yeah change full stop the point is to help us change so that we can live happier lives uh the goal of transaction analysis like i said is to emancipate the adult to kind of free the adult uh, identity inside of us uh so that uh we can change how we respond to new stimuli stimuli and recurring stimuli uh and and this all comes from having a more objective view of reality and this objective view is kind of skewed by uh the data in the parent and the data in the child do you get what do you get that Yep, absolutely. Cool. And so, like, this is exactly the same goal as many other, like, uh, different philosophies or frameworks like Stoicism and stuff like that. The goal is to sort of give us more control over how we think and feel about things uh, so we can ultimately change our lives for the better. Okay, sure. Cool. Um, so, the, uh, the the three ego states, they're called, the parent, adult, the child, that's kind of one uh, very key concept uh, of transaction analysis. Give me a second here because I do have to refer back to my book because my uh, my notes in Rome are not quite complete. Well, you know what to say. All roads lead to Rome. <laughs> nice. Okay, cool. So one, once you're on board with the three different uh, the three different states, uh, the the corollary to that is that when two people are interacting, you know, in any transaction. So remember, transaction is when I do something to you and you do something back. So in any transaction, it's not just me transacting with you. It's one of the identities inside me transacting with one of the identities inside you. Okay. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, it's all coming together. So, you know, you can have like parent child transactions, even if, you know, some, even if you're not my parent and I'm not your child, we could have a parent child transaction. We can have an adult adult transaction. We can have a parent parent transaction. Like there's all these kind of, you know, three factorial combinations uh, of, uh, sorry, three squared combinations uh, of uh, transactions, <laughs> <laughs> which is the same as three factorial. Sorry. <laughs> no, <it's not>. wow <laughs> absolutely not okay uh, this is why I, this is why i didn't do math at school they need to kick you out of study tube <laughs> <laughs> i think they have already i think i've aged out of it okay so i'll give you i'll give you some examples of different kinds of transactions and hopefully it'll help you kind of see see kind of what's going on okay so uh, i'll give you an example of a uh, a parent parent transaction to start off with right so uh okay hold on quick question is there something weird with your internet because your, your voice is coming across as very distorted to me uh, your voice just now came across as distorted to me, but it hasn't before. So I think it's just a temporary thing that happens every now and then. Is mine like permanently distorted? Uh, I mean, it wasn't before. It was sort of the distortion level that it was in our first recording. Okay. Well, yeah, I think yours is now that level of distortion for me. Oh, it's better now. Yeah, yours is better now as well. All right, whatever. Fine. Cool. All right, so I'll, I'll give you an example of a parent-parent transaction. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, the guy, uh, Thomas Harris, the guy who wrote the book, uh, he was on a Greyhound, which is basically like a, a long distance coach, uh, to Berkeley in California. Uh, and, you know, as, as a guy who, uh, is, you know, thinks about this kind of stuff, whenever he's like sitting around, he's like observing the transactions that people are having around him and making notes about them. And so he noticed that, uh, two kind of, you know, oldish ladies were having an exchange. Uh, and, uh, he said that, uh, this was a parent-parent exchange between two cheerless ladies, so they're kind of grumpy, uh, and they were developing a rather extensive philosophy around the point of whether or not the bus would get to Berkeley on time, okay? And so the exchange went something like this. So Lady 1, she sort of looks at her watch, kind of winds it, mumbles, catches the eye of the lady next to her, kind of sighs. Then Lady 2 kind of like sighs back, like, oh, yeah, you know, kind of looks at her watch. And then Lady 1 says, oh, looks like we're going to be late again. Uh, and then Lady 2 says, yeah, never fails. And then Lady One says, "Oh, you ever you ever see a bus on time ever?" And like Lady Lady Two is like, "Nope, never, I've never seen a bus on time." And then Lady One's like, "Just like I was saying to Herbert this morning, you just don't get any service anymore like you used to." And Lady Two says, "Oh, you're absolutely right. It's a sign of the times." Uh, and Lady One says, "Oh, it costs you though. You can count on that." Um, so this is uh, the, hopefully that gives a flavor of kind of the interaction that was going on. And this is a parent-parent interaction, uh, a parent-parent transaction. Do you kind of get why? So they're both speaking, uh, basically their childhood selves, or, or rather, basically they're speaking from the recordings that their childhood selves received. That oh god, buses are never on time, um, and are just kind of uh, bringing that up again as adults without really critically assessing the fact. Well, actually, some buses are probably on time. Uh, yeah. So no. So it's. I, I think that the, there was there's some bits that I missed out when I was explaining the three states. So like the the parent isn't just like like it, it's the recordings, but that doesn't mean that every feeling you have comes directly from a recording in this case i think what's actually going on is that there's lots of recordings of uh, a sort of parent 
kind of admonishing uh, the child, sort of saying like, oh, you know, a, a kind of parent stance sort of looking down on something and kind of scorning something. Yeah, I think scorn is a good word. It's like a, a scorn is a very like parent uh, sort of feeling or, or attitude. And these two ladies are basically just sitting there scorning the bus. And so like, you know, they they probably heard their own parents like complaining about, uh, like you said, you know, complaining about stuff not being on time, but also just their own parents sort of complaining about things or saying like, oh, this is bad. It's not the way it used to be, this kind of stuff. And so um, that's that's why this is sort of like a parent-parent transaction. Um, okay. So they're essentially parroting stuff that they probably heard their parents say who were parroting stuff that they probably heard their parents say and which is why this is a parent-parent interaction. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's okay. not, it's not, go with it's not directly parrot, like the, their parents w- wouldn't have had to say, oh, buses are never on time. It's just a general like vibe of the parents kind of scorning something, uh, almost like point scoring, right? We talked about in episode one of this podcast a year ago, talk about like point scoring of like, you know, uh, co- correcting people or like saying that like something else, you know, putting something else down. It's that, okay. and, and that's so, like a parent so thing essentially to do. this. Okay, yeah. So essentially, this kind of like scornful attitude of being like, oh, you know, that Ed Sheeran concert was, uh, wasn't very good, <laughs> for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so, somewhat. Um, and so yeah, I'll just read the the the, the author's analysis. Yeah, the, yeah, it's like a judgmental exchange that these ladies, as children, would have overheard between their own mums and aunties and stuff uh, over you know buses and 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 over all sorts of things. Uh, and essentially, it's finding like blame or fault with something else as a way of like feeling good about ourselves almost. And that's like a very parent thing to do. Okay. Uh, and so th- this brings me on to like what, what I think is one of the absolutely hilarious parts of transaction analysis. Uh, and we won't have enough time to properly dig into this today. We'll have to do that next week. Um, but essentially uh, the guy who came up with this stuff thinks that you can categorize transaction, you know, uh, uh, many transactions come under the category of what's called a game. Um and he thinks that uh, he, he has a book called Games People Play, where he basically lists out, uh, I don't know, like 20 or 30 games that people play. This particular game that these two ladies are playing is called Ain't It Awful. And it's basically when two people are like, uh, you know, having a good old whinge about like, oh, ain't it awful, you know? And like, if you think about it, like, <laughs> and dude, I, if you read this book, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about games more in the in the next episode. But like, it's... It's just really funny because like the lang like the language of- he uses to describe the games. Like this one's called Ain't It Awful. There's there's one there's one called um there's one called General Motors, which is basically the game in which uh two people, traditionally guys, stand around talking about cars or like, you know, gadgets or whatever. That's called General Motors. Um and so <laughs> and so like he has like du- he's like broken down. A, a large swath of human interaction into these games that people play and he's given them names and like once you read the names you can you can like see it clear as day that oh my god like so so often that's what i've been yeah doing. we're just going around playing these stupid games with people um so yeah this is a this is a case of uh ain't it awful um and uh, i'll give you one more example uh of a uh a transaction this will this is actually an adult to parent transaction Oh, actually, sorry. Let, let, let's continue to analyze um, uh, the the two ladies one. So that that was a parent parent transaction. Um, but what what would it have looked like if that was like a parent adult transaction? So if lady two decided not to respond with her parent and decided to respond with her adult, what might that have looked like? So uh, you know, I'd be like lady one, like, oh man, oh this uh, bosses man, Ugh, looks like we're gonna be late. <laughs> They're never on time, man. <laughs> um. I mean, I suppose it could it could go one of two ways. One way of dealing with that is to sort of put yourself in the position of the adult and recognize what the other person is doing and be like, yeah, tell me about it, and then leave it at that. Yeah. The other way of doing it would be to uh, be like, well, you know, actually, it's 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 pretty normally on time. Um, and but hey, you know, I guess we'll be a few minutes later to our destination. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, oh uh, yeah, I, I I think I agree. I think that an adult response would be to kind of defuse the situation by just you know just like smiling or something like not engaging or by you know saying like oh i don't know i i don't really ride the bus or like i think buses are actually usually on time or like yeah have you have you been late before you know maybe we can ask the driver or something you know just like an adult response rather than continuing to play ain't it awful uh all right so now on to a parent an adult to parent transaction okay so in this example of the adult to parent transaction, uh, there's a husband and the wife. Okay. Uh, and the husband asks, 
hey honey where are my cufflinks okay uh and then the wife says they're where you left them uh and uh essentially what's that you know they, they both uttered like one sentence to each to, to each other but this is a uh this is a transaction where the husband uh is the adult and the wife is the parent so the husband's like oh honey where are my cufflinks pretty standard normal question you know it, it's a, it's like an adult question and then the wife responds kind of uh you know like almost like a telling off you know the way you left them um and at this mm. at, it's sort of like hey honey hey, hey honey what's the time well it's time you've got to watch uh yeah maybe sure <laughs> yeah um and like this is an issue right and like every you know i'm, I'm sure we've all been in these kinds of situations where it's, it's like very clearly an issue because uh essentially you can't have an adult to parent transaction that sort of all right I, I don't want to get into the theory of like what what um what this guy calls cross transactions so, lucy the theory is that certain pairs of certain pairs of identities can have like ongoing transactions so for example the two went on the bus they can have their parent parent game of ain't it awful you know till the cows come home i think that's the phrase uh, and it's fine like i think they they're, they're basically keep like responding positively to one another and the game can keep going on uh if it's you know if, if there's a parent child uh transaction it's fine because like the child understands their role and like the parent that they're always playing complementary roles in an adult to parent transaction they're not playing complementary roles and so you know as, the, the moment the wife responds uh through her parent rather than her, her adult they basically have to stop now and say whoa hold up <laughs> all right what's going on <laughs> you know because they can't really yeah they can't really talk about the cufflinks anymore they first have to settle why the husband doesn't put his cufflinks away like in in the in the appropriate place right like the wife responding in that way kind of changes changes what's going on um and so they're, they're kind of at an impasse 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 um and so this like you know th- this kind of non-complementary transaction will then trigger you know so you know it'll often trigger some kind of game and like i'll, I'll name some games and we'll go we'll go into them next oh, time yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so there's games, uh, there's games such as it's all you, uh, if it weren't for you, I could, uh, and my favorite, now I've got you, you son of a bitch. Now I've got you, son of a bitch is like a really popular game. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, basically once a, uh, you know, if you, if you have like a non-complimentary transaction, like adult to parent, then, uh, you know, you have to like address it. Uh, you can't just keep going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So, look, so far we've covered uh, we've covered kind of the motivation for this kind of thing. It's to sort of make sense of social interaction in a structured way that lets us kind of. So, for for example, if we didn't have this, uh, if we didn't have the PAC framework, the parent adult child framework, we would not really be able to look at those. Yeah, I think we talked about two different uh, sets of transactions. We wouldn't be able to look at them and think and really think about what's going on like the two old ladies we wouldn't really be able to dig into what's going on there what could have been different the husband and the wife we wouldn't really be able to analyze that but we have this shared like useful uh sort of vocabulary and framework through like the the three ego states the parent adult and the child that kind of lets us look at an interaction like that and think you know what's actually going on here and that's 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 useful right yeah no absolutely i'm fully on board with it yeah i'm like super excited by how this will the, this discussion will progress and i'm even more excited at the possibility of all the spin-off content i could create about <laughs> transaction analysis because i feel like this is something that is so relevant to so many people and yet Mate. i haven't i haven't seen a single video on youtube about yeah it. it's, it's, so. it's you know I, I i so when i was doing research for this, like, i've read some books on this i've started making notes in rome i went to find more sources and stuff i've done some youtubing like i've searched on youtube for this stuff it's it all sucks it's all like some you know Oh, I, there's, there's nothing that has more than like ten thousand views or something and it's all like these really low quality obscure kind of you know someone sitting in front of a camera for like 10 minutes talking at you about about this thing like giving a lecture almost so like there's no there's no compelling okay. video content about this stuff uh, there's my video idea gone <laughs> um yeah so i think uh, i think we'll end it there on the uh, actual content about the transaction analysis stuff um and next okay, next yeah, week we'll 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 dig in a bit more into actually so i'll give you a bit of a teaser so next week we'll talk about oh yes we'll we talk about games which i think is really entertaining because then you kind of see these games play out uh just in the people around you yeah like uh, it's awful okay. um and then there's a the thing that really resonated with me uh which is life positions so um thomas harris so the, the, the this stuff about life positions wasn't actually in the kind of I think it wasn't actually in the original formulation of transaction analysis by uh, this Byrne guy, but the guy who wrote this book 
Thomas Harris, I think he came up with the life positions. Uh, and the life positions, if you just give me a moment. <clears throat> okay, so a life position basically uh, is one of the four, po- there are four possible life positions, okay? They are, they are, I'm not okay, you're okay. That's one. Two is, I'm not okay, you're not okay. Three is, I'm okay, you're not okay. And four is, I'm okay, you're okay. All right. So those are the four life positions. And, and it's basically like a stance or like a, uh, a view that we have about ourselves and about other people. Um, and, uh, basically Harris strongly believes that everyone in life starts off in the, I'm not okay position where, you know, you're a child, you know, you're kind of helpless. You kind of need other people to do stuff for you. People are always telling you to do things. You kind of see yourself as not okay. And you see all these other big, tall, six-foot people around you as being okay. And so the starting life position for the vast majority of people, uh, according to Harris, and I agree with this, is I'm not okay, you're okay. Okay? And most of us, you know, according to Harris, you know, an awful lot of people spend their whole lives grappling with the I'm not okay position. And, you know, all of the things that we do, you know, constantly like seeking validation from others, like all, basically all the kind of, all of that kind of stuff that uh, that takes place in our head comes from the I'm not okay position that every child is basically forced into by the fact that they're like a helpless child. Um, and uh, almost like the uh, the goal of, uh, of this framework is to help you sort of think about your thoughts and feelings uh, in order to arrive at the position I'm okay, you're okay, where... Uh, I mean, it, it kind of just says it. I don't. Oh. I don't need to go into any more detail. It, just, it, it absolutely says it all. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> I remember when he first told me about the title of this book. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Because even just hearing the title, yeah, of the book, it sounds yeah, <laughs> like it just like my mind was literally blown at like, "Oh my god, this is this is the secret." Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's a bit of a teaser. We'll be digging more into life positions next time, um, but. Uh, yeah, the goal is to uh, get us all to the I'm okay, you're okay position. Uh, but that, I think we should leave it there for, for this week. Nice. Okay. I think that was pretty pretty fruitful discussion. Uh, it wasn't much of a discussion. It was more of a 10-minute a, a long lecture with the dude talking to his camera. But <laughs> I mean, hey. Yeah, but no, no. no. Like, so I think, I think in last week's uh, episode, uh, there was an incident that came up and I was like, ah, this is a classic case of the overarching parent. <laughs> and you were like, yes, what does uh, that mean? What was that incident? Uh, what were we talking about last week? Were we, um, were we talking about me thinking I'm a twat for yes, yeah, for uh, having, having assistant. a personal assistant? Yes. Yeah. Now, can can can, okay, can so explain can, explain it me? Can you see why this might you know your you, your sort of uh, instinctive response to the personal assistant thing? Yeah, my instinctive response is very apparent. It's yeah, it's like uh, there. It's not it's not adulted in the slightest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The adult response is like this is an economically viable decision, and I should yeah, it's it's the way forward. The parent model is oh, it's only upstarts who have assistance uh yeah or like yeah the, the 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 sort of yeah i'm guessing there are lots of recordings in your parent of you know not not having a personal assistant for example and kind of <laughs> that that being like a weird thing that you know you, you basically have to be bill gates until you until you can justify having a personal assistant kind of thing um yeah, and i'm sure I, I think that's basically most people's stance on it because like you're not really you're only exposed to this kind of stuff in a very loose way um and so your parent had uh or your capital parent inside of you has lots of data suggesting that, like, it's, oh, man, this is weird. It's weird for me to have a personal assistant. I should, like, save money. Like, I could do the work myself. I shouldn't pay someone else to do it. Like, you know, who who, who do I think I am that I should have a personal assistant? This is all, like, yeah, it's a classic case of um, of the parent kind of taking over how you, uh, the situation. So I, think, I think this is very similar. So uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, I put out a video on YouTube <laughs> breaking down how much I earn in a given week as a doctor and a YouTuber. And I've had so many conversations with people over the last few months kind of umming and eyeing with the idea of putting this video out there. Yeah. And everyone is so cagey about talking about money. Yeah. Specifically talking about how much money they're earning. People are okay with talking about how, how much money they're spending. They're okay with saying, oh my God, you know, life sucks. I had to buy this thing. Or, you know, oh, how much was that iPhone? Like, it's, it's not a big deal. But the instant it comes to, oh, what's your salary? People get super, super cagey about yep. it. And I suspect that's a very parent things the life scripts that we were we were fed growing up is that talking about money is weird whether it's implicitly often very explicitly um 
it's it's just like a weird thing yep whereas if the adult in us is to actually examine that we realize actually it kind of benefits everyone if we all are a bit more transparent about about money yep 100 percent. yeah i was basically gonna gonna yeah come on to that point if you didn't bring it up i think yeah attitudes towards money and like how and yeah attitudes towards like talking about money certainly from what i've seen comes strongly from the parent inside all of us and i think it's that's definitely one of the things where it's worth reevaluating the parent data to see whether we still agree with it um interestingly on this note so uh, a few a few months ago i interviewed this guy called hassan kuba who's the author of a book called the unfair advantage uh, that i did a, a video on recently um and during this interview it was, it was it was like a two and a half hour long chat which is available on nebula at curiositystream.com forward slash um it was like a two and a half hour long chat and we spent like half an hour to 40 minutes of me basically asking him right do you think i should make this video and him basically saying no i don't think you should really? and me really trying to understand why he thought i shouldn't and the impression I, is, is like like a lot of his reasoning was well you know it's it's important to have a bit of privacy in your life and i was like okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fine um but then kind of his next line of defense was well if people know how much money you earn then you become more of a target for thieves to which i was like okay fine uh but i was you know still a bit uneasy about that to which and and, and then sort of after discussing that a bit, his kind of third line of defense was, well, I guess I'm in a different position because I'm 30 and I've just got married and about to have a kid. And, you know, I have to take taking out of my wife's, uh, uh, you know, right to privacy. And I was like, oh, OK, fine. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's your trump card in, in, in this situation. But it was it ended up being quite a long discussion just on this point about money, which I was more than happy to have because I was really trying to understand. Is there is there a valid rational reason for not doing this yeah. thing? And at the end of that conversation, I was like, okay, I can see it from you, from his perspective. Maybe he's uncomfortable with doing it, but there's nothing from his view that, that actually can, I can apply to my situation. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it strongly seems like the, that, that was like a, you know, it, it was like the parent in him saying like, oh no, this is weird. And then the adult in him trying to like come up with justifications about why it's weird. Like, oh, you might, mm. you might get, uh, robbed. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and like you know we, we all have these we, we all have these reactions to like so many different things where like your initial reaction to something is you know you, you can't really explain why you have that reaction but you just feel a certain way about something and then someone like asks you about it and you can't quite come up with a reason but like you strongly believe it but you can't quite come up with a reason why and that's like that's 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 a parent talking it's a, a famously incest yes oh my god yes Mate, I absolutely love talking about incest with people. <laughs> this was like one of my favorite topics at university. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like really trying to understand whether whether there was any rational yeah. adults. <laughs> there's none. There's none. <laughs> Adult, there is absolutely none. We spent like hours and hours hashing this out with so many people over the years. Yeah, <laughs> no one could come up with a compelling a, a compelling answer. Yeah. Oh, kids might be born with birth defects. Okay, fine. You can screen for those, you know, in in prenatal testing. Yeah, I mean, come it's on. Twenty twenty, mate. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think. I think the. Yeah, but I think part of the reason why, like, I've had exactly the same experience where it's always a fun discussion where, uh, yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how it comes up or whether I bring it up or something, but like, once you're having a discussion, it's so much fun because you can, you can see, you can almost like see a glitch in the matrix. Like, you can see that, like, they don't know why, <laughs> you know? It's like they, <laughs> people strongly believe that, like, incest is, you know, bad even, even in modern sector society, but they can't quite articulate why. And it's just a very, it's a very interesting thing to watch <laughs> you know the uh, the other one that i i enjoy which i suppose the kind of people who talk to me about this p- possibly enjoy less is people's mm. reluctance to be on camera oh my god i think that yeah. that is a huge one like so many times over, over as in like like i've got friends who are more than happy to for example be in a video where they give advice about medicine applications but for example if they were to be in another sort of video they would be oh no that's weird because uh why oh because people are going to see me online and you know uh, people online are weird but like yeah but you've been in these eight videos already and like, yeah but uh and I'm, I'm i'm just kind of uncomfortable with it and i in those circumstances i get a little bit annoyed uh annoyed because i want to dig further to uh, to uncover the psyche here but i know it would be mean to yeah you, and therefore i have to kind of take a step yeah, back yeah unless it's someone i know so well that i know i can kind of drill them like with this like line of reasoning and they won't feel bad about yeah. it um yeah i think that comes from like yeah. the sort of classic sort of cultural conservatism uh that i think most people have inside of them of like you know it's bad to like almost like it's bad to put yourself out there in in kind of self-promotional ways or something like that you know um so i think yeah there's definitely a bit of parent going on but yeah i think we talked about that uh in depth in episode two of the podcast was it yeah episode two is quite a quite a good episode i thought yeah yeah 
Um, okay, I think uh, we'll wrap it there on the transaction analysis stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting if you can try and like in, in the transactions that you see around you, you can, if you try and like view them through the the the, the sort of uh, okay, the PAC yeah, lens okay. of parent adult child and like try and understand what's nice. going on and like think about like. Yeah, in your own transactions, think about, like, why did I respond that way? Like, what's actually going on here? Or all, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's a really helpful lens to view things. Absolutely. And if if, if anyone's still uh, still listening at this point, you haven't turned off after the Insta, in, incest chat, um, if you want to send us a voice note to, uh, I think, like, at, at the end of this podcast, we will, we'll, uh, there's, like, an automatic segment where we tell you the email address. I can't remember off the top of my head. Is, is it, it's like... It's hiatnotoverthinking.com. Oh, it's, it's hiatnotoverthinking. Yeah, if you, if you can, if you can insert, like, a voice note or something, uh, now that we've got this, uh, well, I've got this uh, assistant, she's helping kind of go through the emails and compiling a list of the voice notes. So if we get kind of relevant stuff to this episode, we can potentially insert it into the next one, even though we've been kind of promising this for the last several months. Yeah, I mean, I'd be so, like... We're super behind on the emails and stuff. Um, I think we have we have listened to all the voice notes. I, I've listened to some of the voice notes that come in, and we've read all the emails that have come in. We just haven't got around to responding. Um, but there is a very clear and tangible action point where, uh, if you send us a, a voice note, you know, talking about you know your own experience, you know, viewing your own experiences through the lens of the PAC parent adult child. Uh, a that would be super interesting we'd love to hear it uh, and b like th- th- there's a very tangible action point which is that we can put it in the next podcast uh, as content that- that's already fitting into what we're trying to do absolutely right i think that's a good place to end this yeah any any insights of the week uh yeah my insight of the week comes from a tweet that i done today <laughs> and mine and mine comes from a tweet that someone else done <laughs> as usual <laughs> classic uh yeah basically this week, this week i was kind of uh I was kind of reminiscing and, uh, you know, re- reflecting on the state of things. Uh, and I remembered that there was like one very like important concrete, like turning point in like in my life and in, I, I would say in like culture and society in general, where essentially where memes became like a mainstream thing. So for most of my teenage years, memes were this like weird nerdy thing that me and my nerd friends and random people on the internet would make and kind of laugh at on internet forums. Uh, and if you, you know, if you dabble in this kind of stuff, uh, you know, there were, there were memes like the, the foul bachelor frog meme. And then basically the, the format used to be like, it's a square picture. It has some, like, it has some animal face in the middle of the picture. Then it has some text above it, above the face and some text below the face. Um, and so, you know, there was this like, well, yeah, one of the sort of common, uh, pretty famous, uh, original ones was, was called the foul bachelor frog. Uh, and it's like a green, it's like a green square with a picture of a, fro- a green frog's face in the middle. Uh, and then basically the text around it would describe, uh, describe something that kind of like single, single bachelor dudes might do in their kind of waste man lives. So, you know, a particular, and, and you know, a lot of these are kind of, <laughs> kind of gross and we, we won't be mentioning them on the podcast, but one of the more tame ones was, uh, you know, something like, you know, at, at the top would say like out of shampoo and then at the bottom would say use soap instead. So this is like a, a classic kind of gross bachelor thing of like <laughs> poor hygiene or like, you know, spill drink on the floor. Time will clean it up. You know, this, this kind of stuff. This is what I mean used to be. It used to be like these formats. You know, there was this, uh, this frog one. There's one called like, bad luck brian where basically was it would be a picture of this guy with like braces who looks a bit like downtrodden by life and uh and then you know the the text would describe some like misfortune that happened to to brian uh yeah i'm like (laughs) yeah so one one of them for example is jumps from tall building doesn't die instantly and so there's like you know this dude's so unlucky that you know yeah yeah exactly uh but yeah Basically, my, I was thinking back that like that's what a meme used to be. It used to be like a weird internet forum nerd thing, and then there was like a very yeah, almost like overnight it became like it became something mainstream. And I remember when I saw my first ever sort of mainstream meme. Uh, I think it was on Instagram. I was, like my mind was completely blown because I, I think until the whole kind of mainstream meme culture happened, I didn't quite I didn't feel much of a sense of connection. I felt a sense of connection with my fellow kind of nerd friends and internet forum people. You know, we had the shared culture. We had these shared jokes. We had this like, you know, we shared this connection. I didn't feel much of that with the wider population in general. And I remember that uh, in 2017, it was, yeah, 
I mean, the whole, the whole kind of meme stuff started to take off before then. Maybe like 2014, 2013, 14 onwards, it started to kind of go mainstream. And I remember, I, I, I remember to this day, like the first mainstream meme that I saw. And I posted about it on Twitter. Uh, and it's a, it's a picture of this guy sort of standing at a microphone looking kind of smug. Uh, and uh, the caption is, when your joke bangs and you're waiting for your friends to settle down. <laughs> I remember I saw this thing and like, like something, it was such a strong feeling that I had. Like something went off inside me of like, oh my God, that's like, a, it's like hilarious, and B, it's like so relatable. And like, there, I had the sense of like something, something is happening here. Something new is happening here. If if like someone made this picture and I saw it, like, you know, th- things aren't going to be the same again. Um, and yeah, like you know, meme culture is it's just culture now. You know, it's like you know, probably like fifty percent of all content on Instagram is you know, me- memes and reposts of memes, and you know, on Twitter as well. And oh, really? I mean, okay, that was. I pull that number out of my. I swear, I follow like zero meme pages. Yeah, but your 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 lame is the issue. Uh, you're lame and out of touch, uh, and oh, and I think you're I think you're unhappier as a result. But yeah, I mean, I okay. follow a ton of meme pages, and like the the meme pages are consistently the pages where if you go on them, you can see like so and so and a hundred of your friends also follow this thing, and like they're, they're by far the oh. most commonly followed thing. At least uh, yeah. With can you put a list of good meme pages on, in the show notes? And because I want I want to start following. Yeah, you. and it's like and and the funniest thing is it's not just it's just not it's not just like it's also like celebrities. They all follow like the same meme pages. Like you see like a list celebrities following like I'm just bait and you know puberty and stuff which are like really big Instagram meme pages and they're like liking these memes and stuff. It's like a, a real kind of a real equalizer. <laughs> Yeah, it's an experience that brings everyone together. Yeah, so yeah, I was just kind of been thinking this week about like, man, that's it's like it's like so cool and so weird and like a it's like a really special thing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, what's your insight okay, of the week? Right, I'm gonna let me let me guess. Uh, oh, I, I read I read a tweet this week about like, hmm, <laughs> if you think about how you value your time. <laughs> <laughs> My insight of the, of the week is lame and out of touch, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> All right, just say. Um, no, nah, I'm not going to say. No, it. it's, say, it's lame and out say of touch. It, say it. <laughs> Tamo, shut up. Uh, so, so you're going to do the, the show notes for this week because you can link to all this transactional analysis stuff and link to all the meme pages I should follow. Actually, earlier today, I actually unfollowed the meme page. I'm just bait because I was, th- I was thinking, uh, oh, these memes are a bit dead. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. Look, the, the, the issue with like mainstream meme pages is that like they have to cater for the mainstream and like some of them are funny and like relatable or whatever, but like the really funny stuff is going to be on like the rogue niche specific ones, you know? Cool. Yeah. So. Uh, list of meme pages in the show notes that we can all follow and then we'll all have this shared cultural experience that brings us all as podcast hosts and listeners together absolutely uh let's just uh round it off by reading a review uh this week's review comes from ioses uh in canada the review is titled this is amazing heart emoji exclamation mark and ioses says i absolutely love this podcast i am an avid watcher of your videos uh probably means me i think she's talking to you yeah. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and i recently discovered this podcast and it has changed my life i couldn't listen to podcasts but now i have listened to 15 episodes in one day wow okay whoa <laughs> that's impressive keep up the awesome work and never forget that we support you peace ali and temur fam thanks a lot Iosis. Oh, that's, that's very nice that's very sweet if you would like to have your uh, review read out on the podcast, then do please leave a review. There'll be a link in the show notes to the iTunes page. I think iTunes is the only place you can re- leave reviews for podcasts, yeah, basically. It's called Apple Podcasts now, but yeah. Oh, is it? Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, layman out of touch, clearly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, so Mate, the, that phrase is going to keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eternal life. So mean. Add it to your parents. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's already been added. <laughs> it was added a long time ago, mate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> No, so I just have one final insight, which is that, like, like I, yeah, I watch a, okay, I watch another one. <laughs> I, I, I'm somewhat of a uh, YouTube watcher. Like, I watch, I watch somewhat of YouTube, uh, mostly on the toilet and that kind of stuff. And it's nice that there's a centralized platform where, like, you can comment on stuff. People can comment on stuff. You can reply to comments. You know, you've, you've. I think like having the centralized platform where people can actually have like a back and forth communication, or even just like a one way communication of like, oh my god, like. You know, just making a joke about it or something it's actually really cool and i kind of thought that like it's not really the same with the podcast so like i imagine for you you know you when you make youtube videos and stuff you do see you see the comments and stuff and you probably re- respond to a few and so you may i spend hours and hours and hours replying to comments every <laughs> wow 
Oh, like, I that's it. what I do on the toilet. I reply, I, re- I reply to comments. <laughs> and, and still people DM me being like, Ali, please check your DMs. Wow. You know, seems like you've forgotten about your fans because you're not replying to DMs. It's like, Oh, guys, guys, I'm a big deal. Don't you get it? <laughs> yeah. God, don't you realize I'm, I'm constantly on 99 plus requests on Instagram? <laughs> but yeah, I, I imagine like for you on the YouTube thing, you have like a good sense of how people are responding to the content. Like, you know, you have a sense yeah. of like what the community thinks and is about whereas with the pod mm. with the podcast i don't really like i i have no i have no sense of it at all the, the, like the the podcast in my life is the two of us having a chat once a week and you know maybe like every every day or two I, i'll read an email of someone saying like oh i really like the podcast and that's kind of nice but apart from that the podcast is basically for me it's just like private discussions that we have <laughs> And I don't. Re- I'm not really exposed to it outside of that, apart from when we get the occasional like okay. message and stuff. So, uh, th- this is actually a good, a good, a very good reason to up- to upload all our <laughs> our back catalog to YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, why do we not think like we, uh, why? As in, like we we've been sort of talking about doing. But wait, it for, we never in, in the first few months. Yeah, but we, we just never got around to it. Well, no, we never. It's so easy to We do never it, thought of this as like the actual reason. Yeah, as in, like, so you can sort of engage, open more of a dialogue, and people can actually comment on things. Yeah, I think like the the comments thing is, is yeah, I think it's just cool for everyone involved. Like, if I if, okay, if right. I, have you right, I'm gonna make one right now. Have you have you have you have you made one already? My YouTube account. Yeah, bro, I've had a YouTube account as since '08. Uh, I've had one since '07. <laughs> uh, for uh, okay, hang on, let's make let's make one for not overthinking right now, and I'll, I'll ask Liz to upload the back catalog. <laughs> yeah that'd be great because yeah i imagine it's more fun for everyone else as well because if if i imagine like youtube not having comments it would just be so much work like the first thing i do when i open a video is i scroll down and read the comments while the video is playing and like there's just so much better than not having that so yeah i think this is a very all right very good we now have a not overthinking youtube channel which will be linked in the show notes so do please leave a comment on this episode if you would if you if you feel like it <laughs> that would that would be good cool uh thanks a lot for listening and see you next week bye that's it for this week thank you for listening if you like this episode please leave us a review on apple podcasts or on the apple podcast website if you're not using an iphone there's a link in the show notes if you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum question or just anything that we could discuss yeah if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. if you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly that's fine as well tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.